two siblings were left home alone in rural Alaska. When their mother came home, they were gone. Over 40 years later, no trace of them has been found. I'm Charlie and welcome to Crime Lines. Welcome to day two of 12 Days of Crime Lines, 12 daily episodes as a thank you to my listeners for the year full of support. This case is from Alaska, and I'm not sure I've covered an Alaskan case on Crime Lines before that hasn't been a missing and murdered Indigenous women case. This is a unique unsolved case because it is two siblings who went missing together. And it has stuck with me since I covered it years and years ago on my old podcast. I thought it was a good time to take another look at it and boost the signal because some in the family believe that at least one of the children, now an adult, is still alive. I want to give a quick shout out to the podcast Crime Over Coffee, who interviewed the kid's Uncle Terry, and I did use that interview as a source in this episode. All of my sources are listed at a link in the description box if you're ever curious where I get my information. This is the case of Amy and Scott Fandel. Scott was born in January 1965, and initially it was just him and his young mother, Margaret. When he was two, Margaret married a man named Roger Fandel, who adopted Scott. It's not clear to me if this was a legal adoption or an informal one, but regardless, The two were very close, and Roger viewed Scott as his son. In August 1970, the couple welcomed another child, a girl they named Amy. The little family then moved to Sterling, Alaska, on the Kenai Peninsula for work, as Roger was part of the Pipefitters Union. This is the time when the Alaska pipeline was being built, and with it brought a lot of jobs to the area. The family found a small cabin on a piece of land set far enough back from the road that it was barely visible. In January 1978, Roger and Margaret separated after a tumultuous decade or so together. Roger had met someone else and left the state to move to Arizona with his girlfriend. This left 31-year-old Margaret up in Alaska as a single mom with her family all back in the Midwest. She worked for a local restaurant, but life in this area of Alaska wasn't easy at the time. It was still developing, and for those not used to the more frontier life, it was difficult at times. One source of support for Margaret and the kids were their neighbors. While they lived in a rural area, about 200 yards away lived a family that had five children. So the kids played together a lot, and that helped keep Scott and Amy occupied. It was also handy to have next-door childcare when needed. After Margaret had been on her own for a few months, she talked to her sister Kathy. Kathy was willing to fly up to Alaska to stay with Margaret and the kids for a while. The plan was for Kathy to also get one of the many available jobs and they'd save money together so that maybe they could all even afford to move back home to Illinois. On September 4th, 1978, Scott, who was 13 at the time, wrote in his school journal that his Aunt Kathy was coming to stay with them that day and the next day would be her birthday. 
after Kathy had a little bit of time to settle in and hang about the house, they went out to Good Time Charlie's. It was Margaret, Kathy, Scott, and Amy. Good Time Charlie's was a bar, but also had a restaurant. And they also had foosball, video games, and other things that could occupy the kids. While Kathy and Margaret talked with people, Margaret introduced Kathy to her friends. They had a couple of drinks, that sort of thing. No one reported anything being off that night. There were no words exchanged or any odd person who seemed to be paying too much attention to the kids. Everything seemed normal. Around 9.30 or 10, Kathy and Margaret decided to drop the kids off at home. They planned to go back out to the nearby town of Kenai to continue celebrating Kathy being in town and all the exciting things that were going on. Margaret said she saw the kids go into the home and turn on the lights before she pulled out of the long driveway to head back out. But the kids didn't actually stay at home for very long. Scott and Amy decided to head over to the neighbor's house to play. They were excited about their aunt being there, and they were chatty and happy while over at the neighbor's house. The play eventually grew to be too rambunctious, plus it was a school night, so the neighbor sent Scott and Amy home. The walk between the houses was one that they walked often, and there was a little path worn down from it. This would have been around 11 p.m. Another neighbor passed the house around 11.45 and noticed that the lights at the house were on. After Kathy and Margaret finished their night out in Kenai, they got home around two in the morning. At this point, all of the lights in the house were out, which was odd because 13-year-old Scott and 8-year-old Amy preferred keeping at least some light on at night as a nightlight. They were just too anxious in the dark. Margaret and Kathy walked right in the house since the door was not locked, but I do want to point out that it was never locked because the lock was broken. Margaret noticed that on the kitchen stove was uncooked macaroni, a can of tomatoes, and a hot pot of water. This was a common meal Scott would make for himself, and it looked like he got started with it, but then walked away before cooking it. The two women had been out drinking that night, so some details, like if the stove was on or off, are fuzzy. They didn't think anything was wrong, so it's not like they're taking note of all the little things in the house. They just figured Scott started making himself something to eat, but then changed his mind and maybe even went to bed. Margaret went into her bedroom and expected to find the kids in her bed where they liked to sleep sometimes, but they weren't there. She thought they were either asleep elsewhere or maybe they had even slept over next door. She wasn't concerned, so she went to bed. When she got up in the morning, she got ready for work and headed out around 8.30. She didn't check on the kids either in the house or by calling over next door. She assumed the kids would get on the school bus with the neighborhood kids like they usually did. After she got to work, Margaret called the school to check on the kids and make sure they got there and to also let Amy know that she was in trouble for not coming home that morning before leaving for class. The school told her that Amy had not made it there. Margaret later said she wanted to leave work to see what was going on, but her boss told her she couldn't go until after the lunch rush was over. 
Meanwhile, her sister Kathy was at the house sleeping in after the travel and late night from the day before. She woke up thinking her sister must be at work and the kids at school. But then Kathy got a knock at the door. It was the kids from next door, back from school, and wondering where Scott and Amy had been all day. This is when Kathy learned they had never made it to school. The reporting goes back and forth over who called who, but Kathy and Margaret spoke on the phone, and Margaret came home from work. From there, she called all of Scott and Amy's little friends because maybe the kids had decided to skip school and play at a friend's house. It didn't sound like them, but maybe that's what happened. But no one had seen them. Margaret learned that no one had seen the kids since the night before when they left the neighbor's house. So Margaret's next thought was that their father, Roger, had shown up in town. She tried to call him at his house in Arizona, but he wasn't there, only confirming to her maybe he was around and had taken the kids. However, she managed to reach a family member who said Roger wasn't in Alaska at all, and he certainly didn't have the kids with him. At this point, Margaret called the police. It was around 17 or 18 hours after Amy and Scott had last been seen. The police immediately brought in scent dogs to search the woods around the cabin. Maybe the kids had wandered off on their own for some reason and had gotten lost. But nothing was found, not even a lost shoe or torn bit of clothing. There were some shell casings found near the cabin, but it was the Alaskan woods, so shell casings weren't a surprise to find. No one had reported hearing shots and there was no blood or bullet holes or shot out windows anywhere around, so it seems like they're unlikely connected to the siblings' disappearance. If they left on foot and went out into the woods, the dogs found no trace of it. But what if they left along the road? The kids, particularly Scott, had been upset about the separation of their parents and that they didn't get to see their father. So the idea that they would pack up one night and start off in search of a ride to Arizona to see their dad seemed possible until you realize that they skipped the packing part. The two had left, taking nothing with them. They were home alone, so they could have loaded up their backpacks full of food and supplies without Margaret seeing them. Scott had even taken a wilderness survival class, so he would have been expected to at least take some survival gear with him. But they didn't. They left with the clothes on their backs. As far as witnesses go, we do have that neighbor who saw the lights on at 1145, and then they were out by the time Margaret and Kathy got home around 2 a.m. We also have another neighbor who said they saw a black sedan drive away from the Fandel home on the night of the disappearance with how late it was at night that they saw the vehicle, the witness was worried that this was a burglar, so they followed the car until it pulled into a driveway and turned off its headlights. The neighbor went up the road a bit and turned around to double back on the car. 
When they headed back the way they came, they saw that same car pull out of the driveway and take off again. The description of this car was not terribly specific, but Margaret was asked about it, and she did know two men who drove around in a car that sounded like that black sedan. They weren't friends, really, but rather acquaintances, and she could only remember one of their names and the nickname of the other one. She did know that they were carnival workers who were just in the area for the state fair, so the police were able to take that information, figure out who these men were, and by the time the tip came in and they were identified, they were in Maryland, which is where the police went to interview them. One of the men admitted that he had gone to visit Margaret one night around that time, but he had changed his mind and turned around. But he said it was not the night the kids went missing, and in fact, it absolutely could not have been. He was up in Anchorage that night working. A check of the record showed that he was working that night, but, I mean, he could have made the two-and-a-half-hour drive to Sterling late It would have been tight, but doable. The police went back to the witness to ask about how sure they were about what they saw and when they saw it, and they said they may have been confused on which night it was. The police were investigating this as a kidnapping, and kidnappings are usually perpetrated by people known to the victims. So obviously, they were looking very, 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 very closely at Roger Fandel. Roger was not in Alaska at the time of the disappearance as far as anyone has been able to prove. He did fly in after the children were reported missing. But just because he wasn't there and maybe didn't do it himself didn't mean he didn't have anything to do with it. He certainly had connections in the area, including family members and including a family member who owned an airplane. So if he wanted custody or he wanted to punish Margaret or he thought she was spending too much time out and not enough time with the children, maybe he did help facilitate taking them. Roger and his family were investigated for years for any connection to the disappearance of Scott and Amy without any solid evidence being found. But even if the police have stopped pursuing Roger as a suspect, Margaret's brother, Terry, believes Roger and his family do know what happened, and he believes that at least Amy has been in contact with her father as an adult. It does lead to some more questions like what happened to Scott and why have the police been unable to find either child in the years of looking if they are still in contact with their father and his family. Based on some circumstances, their uncle believes that Amy was raised in either Anchorage, Alaska, Santa Barbara County, California, or Drummond, Montana. But Roger wasn't the only person known to the family who the police looked at. Margaret has been painted as a bit of a party girl with lots of friends and even acquaintances, like those carnival workers whose names she barely knew. What if her path crossed with someone who had bad intentions? One man who was investigated along these lines was someone who was involved in the sex industry. From what I've read about him, it seems like he was engaged in legal enterprises like the production of pornography, but there were also accusations he was involved in sex trafficking and illegal things. 
Margaret had met him casually on the night the kids went missing. And then when he heard about it, he went out to the house and offered to put up a reward. This could have just been a kind offer, but by positioning himself so close to the family and the investigation, by offering this reward, even though he barely knew them, well, it did get him put on the list. He was investigated, but nothing came out of it. But maybe it wasn't Margaret's social circle that was the issue. Roger, in an interview, made a comment about his enemies. Margaret's brother Terry also told Crime Over Coffee podcast that Roger came into the cabin two days after the disappearance, and he was angry. He waved a gun around, he pulled at Margaret's hair, and he was saying something about, they're after me. When Roger left Alaska, did he leave some unsettled debts or some arguments? There were indications he was a bit of a troublemaker within the union. Maybe someone went out to the cabin looking for him, but what they found were two kids home alone. Or maybe that's what they knew they would find, and they were looking to get back at Roger. Years down the road, after Roger and his girlfriend at the time of the disappearances broke up, she approached Roger's uncle, offering to tell him what happened to the children for a price. She asked for $5,000. The uncle, who Roger did not get along with at all, didn't take her up on this. Margaret's brother Terry said she never made the offer to their family, but it does sound like their family may have taken her up on the offer, believing that she was credibly positioned to have that information. When we look at this case as a possible stranger abduction, it does seem unlikely. They were out in a cabin alone in an area where people noticed if odd cars were lurking about. It's not like someone could see the house from the road and tell that there were two children in there alone. Unless, perhaps, Margaret and Kathy discussed bringing the kids home and then going back out while they were at Good Time Charlie's with the kids. Maybe someone overheard them and realized the kids would be home alone later that night. This doesn't sound like it's a strong theory in anyone's minds, but it does get brought up. There was a local rumor for a while that someone did take them because they disapproved of Margaret's lifestyle and parenting, but that seems even less likely. Surely someone would have noticed a family with two extra kids. And Amy and Scott weren't babies or toddlers. They were old enough that they could tell people who they were and where they were from. After the disappearances, Margaret stayed in Alaska for about two more years, hoping to find out what happened to her children. She started drinking more to dull the grief and anxiety, which led her to some dark nights after work. But in 1980, she moved back to Illinois, eventually got sober, and remarried. But she still has tried to keep Scott and Amy's case in the press whenever she could. In addition, their Uncle Terry is a family advocate, running the Advocacy Facebook group, which I will leave linked in the show notes. Scott Fandel had brown hair and blue eyes and would be 56 years old today. Amy Fandel would be 50 years old and had blonde hair and brown eyes. If you know anything, please call the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. 